Reporting in progress. I'm Fred McMurray, which means this must be... We at the Pillars of Franchising team would like to express our gratitude to Feedspot for listing us as number one in their 2023 list of top 50 franchising podcasts that you should listen to. Thank you from everyone here at Pillars of Franchising. Hey, and welcome to another great episode of Pillars of Franchising. We'd like to thank you all for joining us today. Just a couple of things I want to bring up. Uh, often we're asked, like, what are the Pillars of Franchising? And I just want to focus today, open the show with Finding the right opportunity, that happens to be one of the many pillars that we believe in and work to deliver to you with each and every show. So with that, Sarah, welcome and happy Friday Eve. Hi. Hi, Kristen. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Good. So um, word on the street, uh, we have another big established franchise Bank goes into bankruptcy, um, Burger King. Um, There's quite a few other ones that are pretty big that I use regularly, like Party City that went out this year as well, too. Um, What happens to a franchisee when their big company goes into bankruptcy? Can you kind of explain that to me a little bit? Sure. And let me just say first that I am not an attorney, so I will give you what I understand to be the best of my knowledge, both from you know, understanding you through reading and talking to different legal professionals. So just don't take me, don't take my word for it. You have to double check with your attorney. However, I can tell you that the key basis of this and the outcome relies on what kind of bankruptcy the franchisor files, right? So just like as in a personal bankruptcy situation, um, they can file chapter seven, which is there, it's a fire sale, right? It's like, are you selling everything? Throw it out on the grass, everything's for sale. Um, and that also puts things in a really crazy situation for franchisees. The intellectual property goes out there, trademarks get abandoned if things aren't acted on within a certain point in time. I believe the thing is 60 days. So Chapter 7 is like worst case scenario. That's something you don't really want to be involved in. Now, Chapter 11 is a little different. And I, without looking at specifically what Burger King is or has or was going to file, I would assume that's what will happen there. And that is just reorganizing. So basically, they're going to go through and, you know, look at how they can become a more viable company coming out of bankruptcy. So they'll look to eliminate any unsecured debts that they have, um, charge off any any things in their portfolio that they can. Often it gives them a great opportunity to meet with franchisees and kind of redevelop um, how they're going to do a relaunch, so to speak, behind the scenes of the brand. Um, but the biggest issue people have when a franchisor files for bankruptcy is really the impact it makes to the consumer, 
um, because, you know, we talked a lot about some of the situations with subway, right? Like now that I'm aware of the whole subway scenario, every time I drive by a subway, I think, oh boy, I wonder how that's going, right? And every time it went by, once we started talking this past week about Burger King, I'm like, hmm, I wonder how long they're going to be open. So that's what the public does when they hear, oh, this, you know, this company or this franchise is going under, they're filing for bankruptcy. So in my mind, aside from the true financial piece, whatever happens at the end, it's that mass destruction of the brand that you have to be able to overcome. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of makes sense a little. Um, yeah. Is there any, does it matter which kind you have? Um, like if you're in chapter 11 and it's, they're reorganizing, um, is there a chance that you might lose your contract or is it just different for each kind of franchise, like whoever you're with? Is it all well, different? Well, it is a little different and it depends on some of the things that are in the bankruptcy itself. Typically, if everything is good in a reorganization and you don't have, uh, let's say, franchisees who are grossly behind in their royalties and things like that, um, the franchisee will often, perhaps temporarily, lose some of the resources that they had at the franchisor. Chapter 7 is totally different. You know, we have um, somebody here that, that supports our company who's, and I'm not going to name names, but his wife owned a fitness studio. And a couple of years back, I guess it's probably been, well, maybe a year and a half now, her franchisor filed Chapter 7. And so she had a waiting period, and she had to go about changing the brand of the gym. Luckily, as a franchisee, and this is what's great about franchising, right? Her local business was doing great. She built up a following. She had a great reputation. She had a lot of membership. But the flagship brand itself had filed for bankruptcy. So as things worked through the system, that franchisor went away. She rebranded. She had to get new um, software for her computers and such, managing all the, the databases of memberships and finances and all that good stuff. But she was able to not lose her business. And so I think that's really important, too. Ideally, you don't want any of these things to happen, right? Um, but this was not a real big brand yet. And they were coming out of COVID, where a lot of gyms had been shut down for quite some time. And I think because the pockets of the franchisor just weren't deep enough, uh, they just ran out of money. Hmm. So that's, that's what I have to say about that. Yeah. That kind of so, holds me like as we talk to Jerry later in the program, he's going to talk about, you know, some of the things when you're trying to run profitable businesses. And I think that in the big picture, what franchisees need to worry about are some of the same things that a regular business owner does. And that is doing the best job you can, running a tight business, collecting the cash, don't go out and just blow it on silly things. You need to make sure that you have money available should something on a larger scale, scale go wrong. And you need to drop back and punch. You have to go back and relabel, in this case, her gym and um, do mass marketing and things just to make sure people know. Now they're they're going to be just they're going to be just great because it's going to be a grand a grand reopening of this new brand, and all of her clients understand exactly what's happening, and she's confident enough in the years that she's owned her gym that she'll be able to you know maintain good um, financial position coming out of that. So. Yeah, a little easier than Burger King. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a that's a big hairy animal. I don't know that I would um, be able to understand all the details in that bankruptcy. But anyway, let's focus on some good stuff because we've got some um, great things we're going to talk about today, and I'm excited to get on with the show. All right, thank you, Kristen. Hey, franchise owners, how's your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, ad placement, and customer data intelligence, We'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a y.com. Well, hello, gentlemen. Somebody's waving, which means their microphone is off. There we go. John Francis here. Awesome. And we are so excited, Jerry and I, to welcome Johnny Franchise back (laughs) to the Pillars of Franchising because, Johnny, you've been here with us before. I have. I have. I've enjoyed it so much, I couldn't wait to get back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you made me a little bit nervous today. I got to tell you, I was like, okay, yeah. where is he? I, I, uh, I think I had a wrong link, but I'm glad I found it. Sorry to make you nervous. No worries. I just wanted to give you a hard time before the show got started, but I'll have to just sure. do that live as we go along. That's all good. I mean, <laughs> Johnny, you made my day because I didn't have to fill as much time as I thought I was going to have to, so thank you. Well, that's good. Yeah, I'm glad to let you off the hook there, Jerry. That's great. <laughs> So, Johnny, tell us what's been going on. We talked to you pre-COVID. What do you see in an industry that is uh, coming out a lot different than pre-COVID? What do you see in post-COVID to be drastically different? Anything? Um, I don't know about drastically different, but a few subtle differences. I think, generally speaking, I see things back to kind of full blast. If, if, If you survived it, if you're still here, and if your business survived it, your business is still here, then uh, I think things are going pretty well. You know, the conferences I've been at the last few months, uh, everybody seems to be like record attendance, right? Everybody's busy. Everybody's happy. Everybody's making deals, making agreements. You know, it's back. We're back to, I would say, full throttle. So generally that's good. Right. Subtle differences. Um, I see some millennials. These young people, and I hate, I'm getting older, so of course I'm getting losing my mind, but the the younger people have a different approach, right? And, and um, which is good, and uh, some of that's normal, obviously, and healthy, but I think they um, they think it's easier than it looks, you know? And I think I, I, what, what I'm generally seeing, the people I talk to start up in early stage, it's like, I think they really don't know what it takes to be successful. They've seen a few people have some big wins, and God bless them. I, I'm all for seeing people win, but I think a lot of people underestimate what it really takes to be successful. And that's a subtle difference, maybe. I don't sure. know. Kind of what I'm seeing. And then I guess lastly, um, I think people are really focused on a little more balance. You know, I see people making decisions 
and uh, choices based on kind of what's good for them and what's healthy for their family. And I respect that and appreciate that. I think so that's a subtle difference, but uh, that, those are the changes I'm seeing today or in the last few months. Johnny, you brought up a good point. Both of them were good points. The first one I want to talk about a little bit. So um, we talk about this quite often and we're seeing, um, it seems like the message that potential franchisees has changed a little bit over the last three or four years. And the impression more of them are getting today as opposed to before relates to how much engagement they've got to have as a franchisee. And, you know, you buy it, you open it up with a general manager and then walk away and you'll be successful. And yeah. I think the messaging has changed and that's led people uh, to maybe, you know, come to the impression that you've mentioned. Yeah. I, 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 we used to joke about the phrase uh, absentee owner, right? There's, there's no such thing. I mean, unless you're a, a shareholder, okay, that's different, right? If that's the only title you have. But I don't think there is anything such as passive or truly absentee. And I think it's um, sadly misunderstood. I think, you know, a lot of people want to just invest and in, in hands off. And uh, you can do that, but um, it's certainly not not as rewarding and not as uh, not as much fun. And, right. you know, getting in there and doing the work and run that business. and But it's, you know, like anything, I, I don't know, Jerry, I, I think I'm, I'm talking in circles. I, my point is, I think people think it's so easy and it's just never that easy. And maybe I'm old and they're naive, but, you know, I don't want to sound stupid. So I don't think it's that simple, you know. Well, I think it becomes really difficult if you're a franchise owner and you haven't kind of walked the talk, as they say, yourself. Yeah. When there is a problem, it's really difficult for you to identify where that problem is, how it's being caused. Now, if you have lived the day-to-day -day life for a year or so, and you're like, okay, I get it. Yes, there's seasonality. Yes, we have hiring challenges. Oh, yes, when that product doesn't come out right, I know it's this machine, and that's why. I mean, if you've been there, you can problem solve in your head pretty quickly. I know that's the benefit I feel I have when they tell me, you know, oh, hey, the customers complain that this is wrong. I know exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think certainly experience adds a lot of value and, and really reduces the risk. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've done something three, four, five times, you know, obviously you get better at it and and uh, you kind of know what to do and what not to do. And right. To do and uh, I think also um, – well, I don't want to sound, this is going to sound negative. I, I'm really an optimistic guy, so I don't want to be misinterpreted. But I think a lot of the new franchisors are like the blind leading the blind, right? They they don't know how to be a franchisor, and they're selling franchises to franchisees who don't know how to be a franchisee. Right. And really, I don't, you know, kind of compounding uh, problems because, uh, you know, I, I just see a lot of unprepared, I guess is what I'm seeing. Well, that's actually a really great question, right, Jerry, because we've been talking a lot to emerging brands lately. And right. so, you know. It, you know, um, Johnny, we have, we've talked to a lot of emerging brands, and, and I love emerging brands. I think they bring some energy and so on and innovation that, you know, sometimes the old, old timers like us, uh, we, we, we kind of lose track of. But, um, but like to your point, so many of them, and I always use the example, they open two restaurants, it does really well, so they decide to franchise. 
and suddenly they're selling franchises, but they don't have the infrastructure built to to support franchisees. And then you got franchisees that are struggling. Uh, and frankly, if you think about IFA, that's why IFA is having to work so hard at the state and federal level is because of the conflict that comes from those kinds of things. So um, there's it's a changing of the guard a little bit, Johnny. Yeah, it's it's tough duty, and um, you know it's America. I'm an optimist. I believe people figure things out, and and people want to do the right thing for the right reasons. You know, I don't I don't see a lot of malicious uh, you know behavior. I I think uh, it's just people, and so I always say, you know, my advice is do your homework and know as much as you can before you write any checks, you know, or, or commit to anything, whether it's buying or selling or or whatever it is. Um, I think. Um, yeah, I just I think there's a lot of good people out there doing really good work. I'm seeing some really fun things happening out there in the franchise world too. Uh, especially technology is just fascinating to me how things are moving so fast. And yeah, I barely understand half of it, but it sure is a lot of fun to see the impact and, and understand just some of the potential that uh, that really is coming alive now. It's it's a lot of fun. Let me ask you, Johnny, if you were talking to to somebody who let's say fresh out of college and they get a business degree there. Um, they've had some experience in franchising courses and such. Am I right to assume then that you would probably steer them at a more established brand and maybe somebody who's coming out of who's been an entrepreneur before, would you, would you say those are better suited for emerging brands? Well, uh, that's an interesting question. I, I think generally speaking, yes. You know, the, 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 um, it's low risk when a brand has itself more established. You know, I, I used to say the first 50 are experimental. Um, you know, the next 100 are more stable. The, the third 100 are, are, that's where you really get some scale and they got vendors and they really understand what's yeah. really how to make money. The best time to get on a brand is when there's three or 400 and, and they're on their way to 2000. You know, that's if you could predict, right? Right. So, yeah. um, yeah, for a new, young, uh, fresh, rookie, first-time franchisee, I would say, sure, if you can, uh, if you can afford it and you can find one that's available, you know, get on a nice, solid brand that's got a strong reputation. And look at resale. I've been uh, impressed with the, the uh, formulation of return on investment when you look at not just own and operate, but sell that thing someday. And uh, and the whole multi-unit thing, you know, and I mean, there's a lot of different strategies, but yeah, I think those are generally better for for emerging franchisees if they can afford it. It's usually a right. dollar thing. But, I mean, I've seen people, they come to me, you know, I don't really sell a lot of franchises. I'm not like a broker or any of that. I don't do that kind of work. But, um, you know, I, I talk to a lot of folks, and they're like, well, I, I want to do this. I want to do that. And I ask them a few questions and, and point them in the right direction. But sometimes I say, you know, you really don't have enough to get going on a franchise. Maybe you should buy something else, you know. I've seen people go into like vending machines, you know, for and say, look, you're going to do that for two years or whatever, and you're going to double or triple your your capital, and then you'll be ready for a franchise, and, and you'll learn a lot, and you'll understand things, and you'll appreciate it that much more. So, yeah. you know, if you don't have what you really want, you know, you don't have to sell necessarily. I, I, I call it like buying a car, right? Like, I love to go to the Mercedes dealership, but but it's inspiration for me, right? That's a goal setting opportunity, right? This is what I want, but that's not where I'm making my purchase, right? So, right. 
if you can't afford it, you know, maybe don't buy it or wait until you can have enough to get closer to what you really want, right? Because yeah. franchises can be easy to get into, but really not so easy to get out of. Sure. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess related uh, I'm, in my head is going, you know, a franchise is not a life sentence. You know, you can get out of these deals if you want to. So you should know about that when you're going in. What am really I trying to accomplish here? Something I want to hold on to and build it up and give it to my kids? Or is this something I'm going to work hard for five years and try and scale up and, and uh, turn it over to somebody else? You know, yeah. it's well, and Johnny, You and I both know there's a place in franchising for both of those. Models. Exactly. Exactly mm-hmm. right. We need them all. And uh, we yeah. want all the good ones. Right. I want people that are willing to work hard and pay attention and do the right thing and take care of everybody around them, their people, the brand and the customers and everyone else. But it's not easy and it's never simple, um, you know, but it works, man. When it works, it works well and everybody wins. That's what is so fascinating about the whole franchise model. When when everybody does their part, you know, everybody wins. Yeah. And you bring up a great point, Johnny. I mean, uh, I get asked all the time how we built our organization to the size that it is. Yeah. And the the short answer is hard work and risk. Mm-hmm. You know, we we bought one and uh, did well with it, uh, used our skills to turn it around, and then bought a handful more and did the same thing with them. And suddenly, you know, we had people approaching us who yeah. hadn't found that level of success or were retiring or whatever, and they wanted to get out. But I see so many new franchisees coming in and wanting to skip all those steps in between. <laughs> yeah. You know? Unprepared. Yeah, exactly yeah. right, Jerry. I, I understand that. I'm sure you made a few mistakes and paid some tuition along the way. You know, you <laughs> do. And, and that's part of the fun. You know, that's what makes it kind of worth the success in the end because you know you earned it. You deserve it. And uh, I don't know anyone who gets there by accident or shortcuts. You know, it just doesn't happen. Well, no, and we had a we had a wise person tell us one time as we were growing that uh, we need to look at it as a portfolio scenario when you're buying uh, a scalable type franchise. You know, you're you're going to have some that that do great every year, and you're going to have some that are going to be kind of modest placeholders, yeah. and you shouldn't worry so much because you got both ends of those things because that's a positive thing to kind of have diversity yeah. and to blend and to give you some opportunities for growth. Yeah, I think I think uh, I guess the last piece of this in my mind is playing the long game. Exactly. You know, I, I think that's really where franchising is done best is when a franchisee is looking at the term of that contract as a two or three times renewal. Right. I'm gonna right. be here for two or three cycles of this the term of this five or ten year deal. Yeah. I mean, um and uh, I've seen it done I guess more and more I'm seeing uh, estate planning brought into the thing where it's second generation taking over, which is wonderful. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I've participated in some of that in my, my life personally, but now I'm seeing it where parents are funding this, the children, they're the backer. They sign together at the law that the, the parents use their borrowing power. The yep. kid junior does the hard work. And if, if it works, they pay it off and the kid earns his inheritance. And if it doesn't work, the parents take the hit, resell the unit, and, and Junior goes away unscathed, right? Learned a big lesson, but didn't go bankrupt in the process. So yeah. some of those kind of maneuvers, I think, are really um, smart if uh, you've got the, the, the ability and the capacity to do those things. But I see franchising as a mechanism to, to help help make those things easier because a, a business with a with a franchise model, you know, it's, it's much uh, more likely you're going to have that 
that outcome you can manage. Well, you know, we talked to some some folks who um, in the last several months that had said for um, some of these kids, instead of going to college, they're being gifted money to buy a franchise. And I think, well, if again, if they're willing to put in the work, if they're savvy enough to navigate the first few years and some of the bumps, it works out great. But yeah. for the people that you just described who the parents are, you know, signing on the dotted line for their kids, yeah, not good. sure. What about when they lose it all, right? Well, they're, they're rolling alongside of them, right? So it's it, rather than give my kid a hundred grand, I'd rather borrow a hundred grand and let them spend it, right? With my hands on the on the behind the wheel or whatever, you know. It's yeah. like letting them sit in your lap while they're driving. You know, you want to give them the guidance, and they can get there, but you're not. They're not going to crash. You know, I'm not going to yeah. let them explode in spectacular failure because I got liability. I don't want to lose the money either. I'm going to pay the bank. If right. the business doesn't pay it back, certainly I will. But I think it's a point of leverage and, and a point of motivation for that kid. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I think um, it doesn't always work. Of course, nothing does. But I've seen it done, and uh, I've seen it done where, um, let's say, uh, the family buys into one or two units in a business and they get the hang of it, and the kid really wants to get after it. Well, now you can go on an acquisition internal and start rolling up the non-performers in that brand. Yeah. It, depending again on the brand and the size and the scope and everything else, you know. The, but there's opportunities opportunities to do that, and and then I, they they roll that up. I maybe Jerry, you you I'm sure we know the same people. You know, they do that in one category and they get up to 30, 40 units. They roll that over and congratulations, everybody wins, and they go try it again. You know, pick yeah. another category or a different brand, similar model or same skill sets or some some relevant experience in the, you know, it's not always rinse and repeat, but, uh, you know, there's certainly experience and, and, uh, and, uh, and relationships that can help make that, that pattern more likely to uh, duplicate. Well, Johnny, you know, so many brands are 80% the same as the brand next to them, you know, as far as the knowledge and the workload and those kinds of things, it's that 20% that makes you know, uh, a sub sandwich place different than a hairstyling place or something like that, yeah. which products and services and things like that. But as far as looking for real estate and understanding how franchising works and how the build out works and how marketing works and things like that. So many of these brands are very similar to each other. So if you mm -hmm. find success in one, I'm a, I'm a proponent of people looking for diversifying and trying to find another one that, you know, you've already earned your tuition and use, as you mentioned, you know, right. And you probably won't make that mistake again with the next one. So you may end up being a mumbo and own two or three different brands. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, like you say, with people who have the the capacity and the ability and the integrity to do all that hard work, it's great to have those choices, you know, and be able to build and scale, you know, and then there's different markets and geography, <laughs> excuse me, different geographies. You know, I mean, it gets real complicated real fast, but, there's endless opportunity for, for people to pursue. Well, Johnny, let's change this up a bit. So here we are, 2023. Let me take you back. I, I know you and Jerry both love hair. You know, you both grew up in hair. You both look fabulous with your gel on. Thank you. Yes, thank you. If you had to start today, what are some of your favorite categories that you would look at? Ooh. That's a really interesting question. I haven't been asked that question. Um, I don't have a lot of 
food experience in the restaurant world. I'm, I'm a great customer, you know, but I don't pretend to operate restaurants. Never, never really got that far in that category. So kind of taking that off of the table, which is about half of the world, right, for, yeah. for franchise mm-hmm. categories. You know, I really, I like service models because they're scalable. Um, mm-hmm. I understand retail and storefronts, although I think that's changing a lot. Yeah. Um, so I would be very, very careful about anything with a retail storefront. Um, you know, the, uh, the whole health and wellness thing is for real, and I don't see that going away. And I think as the universe ages or the population ages, there's still a huge wave, I think, of the whole baby boomers yeah. and all that. They're getting old, but they're not old enough, and as that's going to continue to happen. I think if there was a way to combine, you know, that sort of demographic wave, because it's undeniable, Mm-hmm. With a, a concept that's somehow innovative, which I don't know what that would be because I don't pretend to know what I don't know, but then applying some of these new technologies because there's just some fantastic technology that I think is going to change some industries. Well, probably going to yeah. change a lot of every industry sooner or later, but sure. I, think some, I don't know if that's a specific answer, but that's kind of where my head is thinking, something towards that senior care or, or health and wellness, mm-hmm. applying some innovative technology to the to the model in a service-based approach with a not a A-plus uh, high-volume retail, but uh, some other type of real estate if there is a, a real estate component. Okay, very good. Jerry, how about you? You got any big, sticky questions you want to ask? I got them on that one. <laughs> <laughs> No, I was really curious because I mean, really, you know, Donnie's been in this game for a long time. And I mean, even, even I sit back and go, I wonder what I want to do tomorrow. Right. Like I love my business. I love what I do. It's the only thing I know mm-hmm. really is franchising, but there's so much other great stuff out there. There really is. Well, and we've seen so many innovative ones come up uh, and even competitive ones. You know, somebody comes up with a, you know, innovative solution to something and it's not very long before another brand, you know, does a similar version of it. And that, and and, you know, Johnny, what I'm seeing too, and and I'd love to hear your take on this. um, If there is a brand that has really taken off over the last couple of years in whatever category, uh, they sell out you know, geographic area is pretty quick in some cases. So then a competitor comes along and everybody that missed the first go around is picking up on the second or the third. Yep. Are you seeing what's going on with that? And what are your thoughts about the, you know, the copiers that come along afterwards? Yeah, I, I think I see it every time, you know, uh, depending on the category, I've seen it in yogurt. Um, I've seen it in coffee. I've seen it in pizza. I've seen it in, um, well, I've seen it in hair and different, segments of the salon industry. Uh, right now, I'm seeing it in the juice and smoothies and bowls and all that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think generally, Jerry, what, what, you know, what I see is where, um, you know, the best brand to find might be the third or fourth one in the category. The first one out there generally sets the pace and sometimes establishes a whole new category or a whole new industry. Right. Uh, which is fun, but being a pioneer, you take a lot of arrows in the back. And the minute you get success, there's five more competitors chasing you down. So uh, the second 
usually the second variation picks up on some of the mistakes of the first one, then maybe they tweak the model or change something else, but it's sometimes the third or fourth where they really made an improvement on the, the foundation of the original concept. So, you know, I, I'm thinking, and I don't know this business, but I'm thinking about um, like the moving business, you know, it used to be, well, you know, we haul junk. Well, okay. Now we haul junk and we move. Well, okay. Now we haul junk and we move yeah. and, and we do this other thing. And, and now we do this and this and this and this, and pretty soon, you know, it's like, oh, where do you start? Where do you stop? Yeah. And we, well, we do everything. Well, come on. You know, it's like, uh, you yeah. know, I don't know. I, I just think that uh, the innovation is good at a certain level. And then at other points, maybe it's a little extreme and unnecessary. And I think sometimes that's a downfall of a brand. They get a little diluted or lose their focus or forget who they are. Yeah, I agree. And you know what we see quite often, Johnny, I'm sure you see it too with the second or third or fourth one that comes along. They many times innovate faster than the first one because the first one's still just plugging along, trying to figure things out in their, whatever their model is. And uh, these other people come along and instead of the first one adding on three or four different, you know, components, the second one comes along and does both the first ones and the second ones. And they just seem to you know, hit the market hard when they do those kinds of things. Yeah. Well, and they don't have the, the legacy or baggage of the first one's got 50 units to correct. The second yep. one's got five, you know, and, and the next one's got zero. So, yeah. Well, Johnny, so, I want to, you know, I'm just, I'm, I really will ask one final question to wrap it up here. Is there any category that you feel is oversaturated right now? Oh, boy. Yes. But it's not just one. <laughs> What's your worst one? Which one would you never do because there's so much out there? Oh my gosh! You know, again, I, I I'm wary of the whole food category because I really don't know and I don't pretend to know. But I just think there's so many that that look the same to me. Mm -hmm. food, different food categories. Uh, I think that's a big. And then the senior care. You know, that's very hard to tell the difference. And yeah. that's just a consumer point of view, right? I mean, uh, what they do and how they do it and how the fees and economics of that model. Right. I think there's just so many. You've got to be very careful. Fitness and boutique fitness. Oh, my God, how many ways can you split that category? <laughs> but, you know, again, they're doing it. But I, I always, uh, I'll leave you with this. I always say there's, a, there's always room for another good one. If you've right. got a new concept and it's good and it's better than something else, then God bless you. Go for right. it. And, Right. Franchising is economic Darwinism, right? The, the the ones that survive are the ones that adapt and uh, and make it better for the franchisees. So yeah. if they're focused on the franchisees being successful, that brand will be around for a long time. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for spending some time with us again today. We You're appreciate welcome. you coming on the show. Uh, we will have your contact information listed in the credits today. And obviously, we've had you on before, so we've got that out there. As yeah. we speak, if anything's changed, certainly let us know. We'll get that updated. No, I'm still here. Same guy doing the same thing. Johnny Franchise. That's that's my nickname. And someone has to give you a nickname. So I earned that one. That's and, right. Uh, I really appreciate being here. Thanks very much. Very good. We'll talk soon, Johnny. Thank you. You bet. Thanks, Johnny. What are the top three reasons that you should tune in to Felicia Franchising? One, franchise advice from a million-dollar mentoring team. And two, public interviews from franchise professionals and influencers. And number three, 
I about getting some professional tips on buying, growing, and exiting your franchise. Join us on Pillars of Franchising to learn about the secrets of franchising success. You can find us at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, wherever you listen to your podcast. Kristen is muted. <laughs> Kristen, um, I can't tell you how happy that made me to see you do that. Oh, hell no. <laughs> um, and by the way, I just love it when that commercial runs just before I do my, my piece. Oh, my you. God. I almost don't recognize you in that. Yeah, you know, I don't know what I was thinking with those, like, old lady glasses, but I don't know. Anyway. It's- you know, it's time for a redo. Okay, talk to Chris. Yeah, yeah. We have had a couple glasses of wine, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> so that's how that turned out. Anyway. Well, you did good. You did good. Um, great piece with Johnny Franchise, wasn't it? It was. Very interesting, too, because, um, you know, I kind of like to get his perspective. Obviously, as I said, you and he are hair guys, right? You're into the personal services space. But there really is so much more out there. And his point about young people getting into emerging brands is very interesting because we hadn't really had that discussion before. You know, I totally agree with what he said. And uh, and it's merely economics, right? They, they yeah. don't have the, the experience in economics, the two E's that either make or break you in, in yeah. any business. But uh, a young person doesn't have a lot of experience in business, let alone in franchising. And those are both similar but different components, and mm-hmm. and they just, they're, they're going to struggle. But emerging brands are attractive to young people because they're new and they're hip and they're doing things different, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like the moth to the flame. I see a lot of young people gravitating that way. So, again, to Johnny's uh, point, you know, it's, it's economic Darwinism, and uh, they will earn their tuition uh, as they make mistakes in the business, and then you know, we just hope that you know they've they've got the strength and the and the uh, perseverance to continue moving forward with it. Because uh, I mean, it's a great opportunity for them, but there's just some some challenges. Well, the one thing I think that um, where, if you recall, when we interviewed Thomas Scott of Home Run Franchise Brands, the thing that I really appreciated about him is that he has adjusted his cost of entry, if you will, so that these young people can actually get involved in a newer brand. And he's aligned a lot of extra resources again to help them. So kind of in contrast to what we were talking about, there are some franchisors or umbrella companies such as um, home run franchise brands that are working to hit that target, right? Which is interesting to me because emerging brands need every dollar they can get. So every discount they get you know, elongates their profitability cycle. It makes it much more difficult. So I think it's a very positive thing. I wish more emerging brands would do it, but I understand why it's difficult for them because that, you know, 10 or 20% discount is the difference between keeping the lights on and not for some of them. So I, I don't really expect to see a lot of them doing it, even though they need to. I just don't think the economics are going to work out for them. Yeah. Well, let's hope it works out well for everybody. Let's talk about economics, Jerry. That's what we're going to talk about with you today. Sure. You know, uh, and Johnny touched on it. Um, 
So many people buying franchises and just uh, expecting to open the doors, pay their money, and it'll become profitable and they'll retire early and don't have to really work at it. And Mm -hmm. what I've seen over the last 20 years is um, engaged franchisees are much more profitable and successful than those that are not engaged. In fact, their growth to profitability and sustainable profitability is like a rocket ship compared to the non-engaged. In the last six months, I've worked with four different franchisees, excuse me, it would be eight different franchisees, who were working in the same markets, in the same business, okay? So four different businesses, competing type people. The engaged franchisee in every case was, and this is an average, mm-hmm. the engaged franchisee had had 30% more revenue and 40% more profit than the non-engaged franchisee. So we talked about scalability. If you are vastly more profitable, two things happen. Number one, you, uh, your franchisor is much more willing to sell you more licenses or help facilitate you buying a group of existing ones or something like that. Um, your banker is much more happy with you, so they're going to be lending more money and helping you along that path. And so your ability to grow and expand and scale goes through the roof. However... Back to what we talked about with Johnny, and he and I were comparing old man notes. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, so many people buy in and expect it just to happen, and it doesn't. You've got to work hard at least for a while. You've got to take risk. You've got to be in there sweeping the floor and helping out your employees and things like that. There will come a point in time when you will have the ability to semi-retire or work from somewhere else or whatever you want to do, but because you've got an operations manager, general manager, something running the day-to-day, but it won't be in the short term. It won't be in the first probably one to three years or zero to three years, if you will, mm-hmm. um, depending on how fast you grow in those first three or four years. You may get there before others. But many people don't get there for seven, eight, ten years. So. Well, yeah, and I think some of that, Jerry, has to do with you know I always you know I'm always very open about my business and kind of the history that it's gone through. And you know, some people, quite honestly, you know, there was a time when my mom was sick and died. Right? I did not like everything was just on coast because I had bigger fish to fry. Right? And then you've got oh, you got these things going on with the kids over here. You know, I see even in my own business, the degree to which I'm engaged greatly affects not so much my sales because my sales are strong and marketing strong, but my profitability where I'm really like today I got a text from the bank that said, oh, you just spent, which it wasn't me, it was my office, $400 at this supplier I use. I'm like, $400? So I said, hey, what did you guys buy over there? And they bought like four products. And I'm like, okay, you need to call her up and find out where our 2023 discounts are because for four products, 400 bucks, like something's not working out right. But it's those little things that unless you're involved and you're watching closely, the mind just slips through like a sieve, you know? It's crazy. And it it happens to everybody all the time. And it's easy to take your eye off the ball as you start getting some success. And you and I both know franchisees, 
don't necessarily have to be inside the four walls of their business to be working. So when we talk about this, it's an engaged franchisee, in my definition, does not have to be making sub sandwiches or cutting hair or any of those kinds of things that our franchises are. Uh, But what they have to be, to your point, watching the numbers, watching the bills, uh, having weekly meetings with their operations manager, uh, you know, visiting their units from time to time, those kinds of things. And then really, there's, there's always certain things that a franchisee is really good at that helps move the business forward. And there's other things they're not great at. So finding the things you're good at that move the business forward, spending time on those, and then having some time for yourself around that. So yeah. you do go to ball games. You, you can go in the garden in the middle of the afternoon when nine to five Charlie is still at work or something like that, you exactly. know? Exactly. Or you can travel and do your work from somewhere else, but you're still engaged. You're still doing Zoom meetings and watching bills and talking to the bank and talking to corporate, things like those. You're not just writing it off and riding off into the sunset, praying it continues to do well. Yeah, absolutely. It looks like we have a comment from Fred. Fred, do you still have a comment? I have your note up here. Yes, I do. Okay. I'm not to blame for that last commercial. I did not record it. I did not design <laughs> it. I did nothing of it. I was just giving it. So please, Jerry, you can't hang that one on me. That's all. <laughs> I, I like the producer notes. That's all. Continue on. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying, Fred. I appreciate that. And that that fits right in, right? Because the franchisees we talked about, Kristen, who are not engaged, are also always looking for somebody else to blame for their lack of success. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly right. So, Jerry, let's let's talk some peanuts quickly here. Oh, my God. All right. So, let's go back to this thing we talked about earlier about the difference between the engaged is how does that kind of get back to the due diligence process and ensuring that they're profitable? I mean, we kind of touched on that, but is there anything in the due diligence process that they can focus on? Sure. You know, uh, due diligence is discovery day. It's all your research ahead of time. But one of the biggest components is validation calls with existing franchisees. So, when, when you're a prospective franchisee, the two big things, as we repeat quite often, Kristen, the FDD and item 19 in the FDD help you with the profitability and the revenue side of it, and yep. it gives you the quartiles. So if you're not going to be engaged and you're putting a pro forma together, don't choose the top or the second quartile. Choose the third quartile right. because that's probably being realistic. And the second component, if you're worried about how much time you're going to spend, you deal with that in the validation calls with existing franchisees. And in my experience, those existing franchisees are very open and honest. In fact, might be a little pessimistic sometimes. They may say, you know, you're not going to be successful if you don't work 50 hours a week or whatever the case might be. But that's good information. Maybe you think you're smarter or work faster than they do or something, and you're going to do it in 30, but at least you have that information going into it. So sure. the two, two big pieces, right? FDD and uh, as a part of the FDD, item 19, and then yep. validation calls. And discovery day is a part of it, uh, of yep. course, 
whether it's virtual or in person. But I look at that as more of a kind of an educational thing where you just learn about all the different components of the franchise. And yeah. You meet the people at the franchise or who you'll be dealing with and some of that kind of stuff. So for me, the uh, FDD and the validation calls are when you try and figure out all that engagement piece out. Yeah, I think the next big one, though, once you sign on the dotted line and you pay that check, is you need to be very intimate with your operating agreement because that really tells you this is what your day is going to look like, right? It's no longer hearsay or, you know, what another owner perceives it to be according to them, right? Now it's this is the nuts and bolts of things. So um, I think that's good. Yeah, and, you know, franchisors, of course, we love all our franchisors, um, but they want to sell a unit. That's right. And they, they understand they're going to have some units that are really overperforming and some that underperform. And in many cases, it comes down to the franchisee as to which end of that spectrum your unit falls into. And the franchisor understands that. So if you, if you don't pick up on the details uh, in that whole process, um, they're going to make money either way. So don't expect them later on to take a bullet because you were not good in your due diligence and you chose not to be engaged. And again, I am not telling people that they can't be a franchisee and be less engaged. I'm saying at least early on, it's going to dramatically impact your revenue and profits. Sure. Later on, if you have the right people doing the right things under your tutelage, you may be able to do it from afar and not work so many hours. So let's be very clear on that before we get a lot of calls. Very good. I appreciate appreciate that, Jerry. Thank you so much for your time today. And I am going to write down and look up, I was going to say get my dictionary, but we don't do that anymore, and look up the word tutelage because that's not the first time you use that word. And I'm like, what in the hell is a tutelage? I just don't know. So it must be something to do with Arkansas or Iowa, and I'm just not part of that sphere yet. So, but thank you so much for all your help and time and effort that you put in, not only for the show, but to franchising in general. I appreciate it, Kristen. Look forward to next week. Absolutely. And I'd like to thank you all for joining us on the show today. And thank you to John Francis, AKA Johnny Franchise. We appreciate our million dollar mentors, Jerry Akers. Andrea Mundy, Ray Pillar, and Karen Kimsey-Sword for their commi continued commitment, excuse me, and insight. Also, a thank you to Laura List, our franchise lawyer, and last but not least, a shout out to our chief PETA and producer, Fred McMurray. I am Kristen Shelmessy, your fourth franchising mentor, and together, we are your resource for franchising success. This has been another episode of Pillars of Franchising. Join us again next week at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, wherever you get your podcast, and remember, the dream starts here. Have a great week.